I looked in the mirror and I just seen a ball of fire. Welcome in to Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. On today's show, I invited veteran truck driver Troy Jensen, and he shares with us some of the experiences he's had driving on the road. Let's give it a listen. I've known you since I was a little kid, and you've been driving truck since then, and you are actually on the road right now. You pulled over to the side just to record this show, and then you got to get going again. Is that right? Yeah, but the traffic's not moving too fast today, Miles, with the holiday weekend. I think half LA's heading to uh, Las Vegas for Mother's Day. There you go. Well, good. So tell me, Troy, what you do for your job so we can kind of get engaged as an audience of what it is that you do and how long you've been doing it. Well, I'm a commercial driver. I have been for uh, 33 years. And I'm in my last year, finally. I think I've talked my wife into letting me uh, hang up the driving boots in uh, December 20th when I came in for Christmas this year. But there at first, she wasn't sure she was ready for twice the man and half the money. You know, I think we'll be okay. She's got a good job and will take good care of me. I run from uh, two trips a week from Salt Lake City. And I just go down to Anaheim. I'm only about two and a half blocks from Disneyland. So one of the perks, I guess, of the job, I get to see the fireworks at Disneyland on Monday nights and uh, Thursday nights. But anymore, it's just like, oh, let's get them over already. I need to get some rest and get up at 4.15, get unloaded. But anyway, it's a, it's a pretty good run. From there, I go uh, about 100 miles up the coast to Port Wainimi and meet some ships that come in there. Uh, right now, I think I pick up bananas from Del Monte, and I think half my load is uh, from Guatemala, and I uh, say I got to have some half a load of organic so that came around from Mexico, and then I take them to Salt Lake drop them off. Most of these will end up in the Costco stores. If everything goes right, when I leave out Monday morning, I get home Wednesday about midnight. Then I get to sleep in my own bed on Wednesday night and stick around. My wife and I, when she gets off work, we have supper and visit a little while. Then I just take off about six in the evening and go up and deliver. And then I'll spend the night in the yard in Salt Lake and they'll waiting for a load. Usually it's down there. It comes down from Billings, Montana. I haul Little Caesar pizza flour out to Anaheim and bring bring bananas back. But over the years since I've been with this company, I've been with Montana brand for produce for 22 years. Well, I'll tell you, I've hauled all kinds of mainly produce back and I've been to over 600 different places and I've we don't get too far away from home. Usually keep it within a thousand miles and just run on the seven Western states. But right now I'm just running from Salt Lake through 
a little corner of Arizona and through Nevada and to the West Coast. And it's actually a pretty good gig, but it took a while to get it. Where did you start? Oh, let's see. You know, I have not always been a truck driver. I put 11 and a half years in an underground coal mine. I never, ever thought I'd be in a coal miner, but then I never, ever thought of being a truck driver either. I, my grandmother thought I'd be a dentist or a doctor or something, but I let them down. Yeah, I started in college and good heck, I was a little more than what I expected. And I thought, oh, I got to get a job and get, make some money and then I'll, maybe I'll go back. And I stopped at job service and boom, they just had started hiring. So I went underground when I was, oh, well, I was still 18 years old, but I turned 19 the following month in December. But I took advantage of it and learned all I could. I got into the extensive first aid and the mine rescue and, and all that. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, it was right before Christmas, the summer of 84. We actually had a mine disaster. We had a mine underneath us there in the Wilburg. It caught fire. And I was on shift and we went and sealed the bin up because we was dumping coal down to him. We never realized how serious it was. So we, on the way home, it had already hit national news and we just got home and got a phone call and he says, uh, hey, we need you to come back. We got our first mine rescue team. We got a, it's a fire. There at Wilbur, we got 26 people trapped. We think they still may be a, a chance of saving them. Your name come up, and we got you on team number two. And I said, I'll be right over, and I'll tell you, I sure had a never expected to go through something like that. It was it was too late, you know, carbon monoxide got them all. It took out, oh, almost all the big brass of, Utah Power and Light Mining Division. They just went in there to root them on. They was going for a world record, trying to beat our world record that we held. They're Deer Creek Mine. We've been down there about 11 hours, and it's already starting to recover the deceased. I knew knew a lot of them. I just, geez, all of a sudden this inspector came around the cross cut and says hey you guys need to barricade you know the fire surround us there's no way out of here we only had about an hour of oxygen left and we says well, let's ship these guys out let's we was missing two we hadn't found two of them they say no we can't ship them out until we find the other two and all of a sudden here we are being told to barricade but this Good guy I trusted that was a mine coordinator, the Longwell coordinator. I'd worked with him, been his shear operator for about five years, and I trusted him. He said, just hang tight, guys. And he went out and came back in about 20 minutes. He said, I found a way out. But I'll tell you, my life flashed between my eyes, and I thought I was a goner. And I, my life flashed in my eyes, and I, was, <laughs> I thought, I am in bad shape. I'm not living the way I was supposed to. And, you know, I remember praying and saying, hey, if I, you get me out of this, Lord, I'll turn my life over to you. I'll try my best to do better. And I'll be darned. We got out of there. You were saying there was a lot of high brass. That was breaking a record for the most coal mined? Yeah, I think we held a record. We had, uh, you know, mined about 23,000 ton in one day on a long wall. And we held that record. 
and they were trying to break the record. I guess that last shift is on afternoon shift. The fire started about 8 p.m. And um, they had come up from Huntington, up from town. They said, let's get up there, you know, and cheer these guys on, you know, and we're going to break this world record. So I remember my one of my friends, Alex Polis, he was a, an engineer. And when we found him, I thought, what the heck are you doing here, Alex? He was scheduled to be married that weekend down in Las Vegas, but he had got down to the town and then they was going to go do that. He said, oh, heck, I'm going to go back up with you. And he called his fiance and says, I'll be a little late. And I'll tell you, he sure was. But that was a real sad deal. It was interesting. A lot of the people that were in there, you know, wasn't expected to be there. And then some of them that were supposed to be there, things happened to where they weren't there. But it was, it was just it was just quite an ordeal. And I talked to this one friend and he says, yeah, I was doubling over and I was going to stay and help break that world record. And right. You know, the man trip that he rode in on rails back then, you know, low rails and made of steel uh, in case anything caved down, you know, and protect you. But it was just leaving. He was sitting there and he put his hand on the pan line and a rock or a piece of coal fell out of the ceiling. And hit him right and smashed his thumb. And he, oh, he was shaking that thumb and it started throbbing. He said, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. You know, and he waved his cap light, you know, in the dark. And somebody happened to see him wave that light. Stop, stop. And he got on that man trip. They've already seen him or hit him, but still been one of them. And he got on out. And he said he couldn't believe it when he had heard what happened later on. But, yeah, it was pretty intense. And that's when I turned my life around and I got thinking, what would I like to do? I stuck around long enough to get a pension. And then I went through the England driving school. I always liked running equipment and stuff like that. And I just went through a divorce, really had nowhere. You know, I thought, well, I have nowhere to be. And my life was in shambles. And it started getting better. And I went through the school and I remember my first trip. You know, with a trainer, I was so, so excited to get out of, you know, it was easier for me, I think, than a lot of them. People came in from all around the country to this school. Finally, we got, got the CDL. That was right when the CDLs was just starting to be enforced. And so I had to get the commercial driver's license. And the guys that had been trucking for years and stuff, they just kind of got grandfathered into it. But boy, I'll tell you, there's a lot of rules and strict regulations and even to get in and get these bananas now since uh 9-11 changed so much we used to go in the port we in and out of there but now you after that i had to get like a twit card it was i had to get an fbi background check and all kinds of stuff and be able to pass because they don't let just anybody through homeland security so you got to have one of them I, mainly because you know you got get in there and they got these battleships and everything coming in and out of the port and they don't want people knowing you can't take no pictures or anything because of the secrecy of where them battleships and stuff are but so what is the craziest thing that you have seen with your job tell me a couple of them things are getting a little crazy out here miles i mean uh, i don't know it's a lot different than it used to be. People are kind of losing their heads and stuff. Just like 
before I pulled, just coming in here, you know, traffic was backed up and everything. But it's like, geez, they don't think they're just lawlessness. They're driving up the bar pits and everything else, trying to get a couple cars ahead. And it's like, what in the world's going on? Yeah, I've been pretty lucky and watched over, protected, I think. And I, I was involved in one accident, and that was my second year. I was driving for May Trucking Company. And I remember, well, it was this time of year. I was heading home for coming in to go through for Easter and visit my mother. And yeah, all of a sudden it was about 11 o'clock at night. I'd picked up a load of cheese down in uh, Carthage, Missouri. Um, and I had home, got, and it was just some weird stuff that happened during that, during the day, like slow me down. This is what the heck's going on? It was about 11 p.m. at night, and it was just a beautiful, calm, starry night. And uh, I thought, I just went through Omaha and went about York, York Nebraska. I was going to shut down for the night and just down the road in Grand Island, Nebraska. And all of a sudden, I just a kaboom. And I thought, what the heck? I, somebody plant a little bomb on this load of cheese? And uh, wait a minute, my head popped back. And geez, my seat was still seat was bent sideways. I looked in the mirror and I just seen a ball of fire. Somebody is, and they had us governed. I mean, we, we could only do 62 miles an hour at that time. And some other, another truck, you know, it's come to find out it was an owner of a, a trucking company's son out of Wisconsin. He must have been, been doing, them, you know, over 90 miles an hour, they said. And he hit right into the back of my trailer and exploded. And I, oh my gosh. And I remember it was like the truck went up on a, nine wheels half of them was and then came back down like what i didn't even want to go back there i knew it'd be awful and finally i jumped out of the truck and that was the only thing that had happened to me that hurt me i broke my little toe when i jumped i didn't use the steps i just jumped right clear down onto the ground and i went back there and oh my heck and by that time all of a sudden you know people i shut i-80 down there in york nebraska for about five hours and they just have to detour them around. And I remember looking at somebody pointing, and they said, there's the driver. And I remember the other truck, I thought, oh my, because I didn't think there's no way he would have survived. He was tall and thin and wearing cowboy boots. And I, oh man, but he's holding his mouth and coming to find, I guess he'd almost bit his tongue off. I thought, how'd he get out of it? And they says, you know, they said somebody, all of a sudden just appeared from the other side, came running over and jumped up on that burning truck and reached through the windshield and pulled him out of that truck and set him on the ground. And nobody can find out who it was. It was like a mystery man. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And anyway, I got thinking, I thought, why, why me? Why did that happen? There was this preacher guy that drove for us. He says, well, do you remember who, what was in front of you? I thought, oh, I'll be darn! I was following a Greyhound bus full of people, and he would have smacked right into the back of that bus if I hadn't have been there, opened it up, no telling what would have happened. And yeah, I was like, like I'd been put there or something, because <laughs> I come to find out, I guess they found well, they couldn't find the evidence and stuff. But the guy checked out; he was, you know, on methamphetamines, so. 
he went about eight feet into the back. He was hauling French fries. And I'll tell you, if you want to see a pile of cheese fries out on Interstate 80, but the company, they had to buy us a new trailer. And, uh, you know, it was all, there's no fault of our company. But they, I remember they had a paper that said, do you want to sign anything? You sign this paper and release all this. Geez, I figured that guy had been through enough. I didn't get hurt. So I just signed the waiver and says, yeah, that's what I'm I'm not pursuing any lawsuit or anything like that. Yeah, I was just a youngster back then. Well, good for you. I mean, that kind of experience and everything seems to have worked out and good for you for signing that, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, was something you don't forget. And I'll tell you, I sure got to be watching all the time, defensively and this and that and the other. I was just a tall, skinny kid back then. I'll tell you a funny story. I drove out of their Layton Terminal. May had three places, Brooks, Oregon, Payette, Idaho, and I drove out of the Layton thing. And back then, you know, things were tight. I mean, when I started out driving with a trainer, I think I was getting nine cents a mile. And I mean, (laughs) you almost starved there. But anyway, when I then I moved over and got my time in and stuff and i switched over to this may you know and it was like 26 cents a mile and so i was but they let us take 60 dollars a week on thursdays out of a when we'd fuel to have money to live on that was pretty good you could eat good then but i remember having ten dollars left and i think the next day was thursday but i pulled into chicago for our hangout there it was the old 76 truck stop there in Calumet, just they're part of Chicago. And they had this nice buffet in there, but they had these sandwiches and different stuff that if you know how you see you see these signs through Texas, everything great big three pound, you know, these big pieces of steak. If you need it all, you get it free, whatever. But they had these sandwiches up there. And I thought, wow, I'm hungry. And there was only like $9, I had enough to get it. I had some change in my pocket. It was under $10. And, and I ordered this, uh, it was like the porker. And I wasn't planning on eating. I thought, oh, I'll just save half of it for tomorrow. And I'll have two, you know, two meals. And I was hungry. I hadn't ate all day pulling in there. And I got eaten on that. And all of a sudden, they had this trucker's wall of fame there. Geez, and some of them pictures of them guys, you know, they'd set up on them stools. They couldn't fit in a booth or anything, you know, and they needed a stool for each cheek. <laughs> I mean, they were some big boys, and here's this skinny, tall kid holds in there. And I started eating that sandwich, and it must have had two, three pounds of bacon on it. I think it was called the porker or something like that. Geez, I was eating, and uh, geez, I almost ate half of it. I was like, oh, no, I'm still hungry. And I kept eating. All of a sudden, people started gathering around. Hey, we got one. somebody get a time limit, too. And I started eating. I, and I ate the bun. And I'll be darned. I finished that sandwich. And I got this meal for free. And here I was going to get my picture on this trucker's wall of fame there in Chicago. And they walked up with the Polaroid. And, oh, dang, we're out of film. And they didn't have no film in there. And I, I know now I told my wife that story. She says, you mean you would actually like your picture up there for eating that sandwich? And I said, yeah, you know, it's a man thing. I would have went back. Did you go back and have him take it? I should have. 
I should have because I'd go in there all the time. But yeah, there's only, you know, there might have been two dozen driving pictures on this uh, this wall there. And the people that had finished the sandwiches. And, and then, like, yeah, I thought, oh, nah. yeah, I never did get my picture on there, but I did it. Anyway, remember my first trip and this is my last trip and everything else is kind of a blur and stuff. But they say you're here, you're only as good as your last trip. You don't want to goof up and have anything tip over, have any damages or anything like that. But I remember the first trip I took with the trainer there for England. We met him and everything. He said, well, we got our load. And we went up to Ogden, Utah from Salt Lake. And uh, this load, we got a load of exercise equipment. And it was heading for Conneret, New Jersey. And, you know, being a country bumpkin, I really hadn't been anywhere. And, oh, it was just so exciting and everything. And we was out there about two weeks. And he says, you know, I, I guess I had, you know, had an advantage over some of these other drivers because I'd backed hay wagons and things like that. So I didn't have trouble backing or, you know, well, I wasn't real good. But I got, you know, pre- better than a lot of beginners. And uh, he says, I think we're going to solo you because usually you do a, it was two weeks with the trainer, then you'd go student, student, somebody else that had graduated from the school with you. And I had made it all over that two weeks and everything. And I got going up Don Parley's Canyon, Parley's Canyon, almost back to Salt Lake. And I was going to solo me. And I was a little bit tired. And I got going up there and I'll be dang, I missed a gear climbing that other side of the, you know. And I, oh, it was almost like, geez, and I panicked. And, Next thing I knew, you know, I couldn't find a gear because our semi is a lot different than the regular pickup standard shifters. You got to have the exact RPM for your speed, you know, to fit into that gear. And that was one thing they trained, had trained us on. And next thing I knew, I was stopped, facing up, trying to get the night, put it in first gear, trying to get going. It's funny I didn't snap a drive line. Next thing I knew, because my trainer was sleeping. I was trying to get that going. Next thing I knew, I knocked him right out of bed. He, oh, man. Well, I said, wasn't he had to come and get in the truck because I was all flustered, take the driver's seat and got, got it going up over there. And he says, well, I'm sorry if that hadn't happened. So then I had to go out with a student student. And, oh, I was disappointed. And I remember they sent us to Salisbury, Maryland. That was a good trip. A good guy. Young kid about my age. And even might have been a little younger. And I was a driving and came across there and you get there around Baltimore and you know there's an at the Annapolis Bridge. You gotta cross over that and get over into Salisbury, Maryland, out on this like an island like thing. And this bridge is miles long over the ocean. Anyway, you'd come out of there and you had to pay a toll and get going. Then you had to move over three lanes and take that exit. You think them cars had let me over? Missed the exit once. I had to go down and turn around. I came back up and I come back down. I had to pay the toll again. And the second time they wouldn't let us over again. So missed it again. I thought, we're not paying that toll again. You know, this is, it was about $15 or something. And that, you know, that was our bad. So we had to come out of our pockets. I said, we'll just zip down into this 
And the guy says, I'll just go take down here into the city and you know, spit you out over there and there's another place to go in. And we had called the receiver there and says, told him, yeah, we're on schedule. Matter of fact, we'll be about an hour early. And he always wanted to be on time. And I'll tell you, I went down into the city of Baltimore and I could see where I needed to be, but I couldn't figure out how to get there. And I drove around that city for probably two hours and I was ready to quit. I said, this isn't. Anyway, we finally managed to get out there and we was an hour late instead of a two, an hour early. And they kind of give us a bad time about that. But yeah, I'll never forget that. And then we got back and I remember finally going solo and that was really nice. I rode team, drove team and stuff before, but it's just nice to be able to just pull over when you when you want to pull over. And I don't know. I guess if you don't mind your own company and stuff, it's it's not too bad. But I kind of like to solo out here. Yeah, my son had a he was building his new his house. They had this boxer dog he'd picked up out in oh heck where he was working and brought home with him. And he says they won't let me have this boxer dog. His name was Tank. And would you be able to take him in the truck with you? And I'd never had a pet out on the road, but a lot of people do. And that dog rode with me for 11 months. And that was right at the time that the kids joined me up with Facebook and stuff. And you go on my page there and look back about seven years ago, you know, this dog, I got so attached to that, that dog. He had such a personality, and he was a celebrity out here. He had a Facebook following and everything. He, they didn't care what I was doing. They wanted to know how Tank was doing. When I had a steak, he had a steak. Everything I kind of got in trouble for that. And I'll tell you, when they got their house built and they were ready to take him back, I dang near bald. He's on my Christmas list. I got five grand dogs. I love dogs. Got five grand dogs, yeah, and I buy them all Christmas presents and everything my wife thinks i'm kind of weird i buy dog treats by the bulk and i don't even own a dog but I, all the dogs i see out here i'll get a milk bone and get in trouble for feeding the grand dogs too many treats and when they they come and visit but if we got time for one more yeah of course yes things i remember nowadays with the, they got us on these e e logs and stuff and geez our time we gotta manage it there's not time we just could stop and be able to help people or this and that and the other but i uh picked up a load there in turlock california a load of frozen vegetables and it was going clear to hunts point new york and it took about five hours longer than i thought so i was kind of behind this planning my trip out and just finally got loaded and i got heading up through Roseville, California, and you had to climb up over Donner Summit and everything. And I just started getting my momentum up, and there before Gold Run, I seen this these blinker lights flashing a little bit, and I was just going, I was going to move over, laying all of a sudden, and it was just like, you know, you get this impression prompting, you're going to stop. No, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Yeah, you need to stop. Oh, gee, I can't stop. Next thing you know, you know, it's a strong prompting. I couldn't pull in behind him, but I got pulled in front of him. I walked back there, and there was a lady and her mother. And the mother must have been close to 90 years old. And she had a foster 
daughter that she was raising. And they was out there and they were in pretty bad shape. They said, oh, they says, we're so sorry. They says, we have been out here for, oh, heck, about nine hours. And nobody stopped to help us. He says, all we have is a flat tire, but none of us are strong enough to break the lug nuts on the tire. I, oh, geez, don't worry about it. I had that tire changed in about 10 minutes for them and, and waved at them. I was off on my way. All of a sudden, they started waving, waving. Our battery's dead. You know, they had their emergencies. Even the highway patrolmen's and everything have been passing us up all day long. And they finally, they said they prayed for some help. And I guess I was the best the best chance of, well, I don't know. I was just glad I was receptive to that because I pulled the reefer unit out of the trailer and put it in their truck. I says, head on up here. They're about less than 15 miles. Or there's a service station. And I think they got a shop there. And sure enough, they did. But uh, I didn't really tell them my name or anything like that. It was when I was driving for May. But all of a sudden, we it was like a, they were pretty wealthy. They were heading for a, to their cabin up in uh, Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, South Tahoe there. And all of a sudden, our company, I guess they wrote down the name of the company off the truck and the truck number and everything. And all of a sudden, our company started getting all these big boxes of cookies and treats and everything for the drivers. Well, to say the least, I got driver of the month. Then they found out who I was. They give my number and they'd call me and invite me out for Christmas out in San Mateo, California. Come on out, spend Christmas. They thought I'd save their lives. I don't think I did that, but you probably did if they're out there for nine hours. Yeah, nine hours. And the, the grandmother was dehydrated and oh, pretty bad shape. It it about give up. They thought that's where they was gonna perish out there. You know, but it was good to be able to be in a position to be receptive of being able to take the hint, pull over and help these people. But that was a real strong impression I had that day. And, you know, there's a few other things in different times and stuff like that. But that one really sticks out in my mind. I love that story. Yeah, my luckiest kid driving out here with me was Jackson. He was our, young, our youngest, the caboose. And I'd always let him get a little truck or something, buy it on the road. We just headed down to, we delivered in Phoenix, and we stopped in Eloy on our way to Nogales, and he picked out this little truck. And all right, you know, and we on our way back, we stopped to get a drink in Vidal Junction and walk in there, and he looked on this shelf, and oh, my gosh, there's this tanker, a double set tanker set of doubles nice and shiny it said union 76 on he wanted that so bad and i checked my wallet says i'm sorry i well i only got a couple dollars left to get us home but they had this giant bubble gum machine there must have been five thousand pieces of bubble gum in there and it cost a quarter he says well you got a quarter so i can have a piece of bubble gum i says yeah i had a quarter and i give it to him and he turned the handle all of a sudden, it wasn't a bubble gum that came down. It was like round and round. It was like in a little plastic thing. And he grabbed it, looked, and he opened it up and said, winner. And they, what's this? Well, you're the big winner of this contest. You can have any prize on this second shelf here. And that tanker was sitting on that second shelf. And I had never seen anybody so happy in my life. He got that tanker. Then we got going up the road toward Needles. All of a sudden, he looks at me and says, Dad, 
that. He says, I never did get my bubble gum. I thought, oh, I forgot all about that. I said, and I thought, of all things to say, he got that tanker, but he didn't get his bubble gum. One time, my son Landon almost lost his arm. Couldn't believe it. He was out at Port Wayneme, and back then, it was before 9-11, and they used to have this observatory place they did tests and stuff on the sea life you go over there and they could handle these uh starfish and things like that and they had this big old tin tank it was huge you know we didn't know what was in there and everything and landon walked over there and was looking in and he kind of stuck his arm out and all of a sudden get away from there also, he pulled his arm back, and that big old eight-foot tiger shark with his mouth open, whew, clanked his teeth down. He darn near lost his arm, and he'll never forget that, and I won't either. Oh, wow. heck, I don't think his mom would have been too happy to come home with one arm. One arm. <laughs> uh, if he got bitten by a tiger shark, I mean, that would, if anything, that would have been cool, but not cool oh, to lose an arm. You just never know what you're in for when you wake up in the morning. Nope. Yeah, they told me last it was the last February that I just went over the, the five million mile mark. But I don't I'm not gonna get six. That's that was any over a year ago. Five million miles. I wish I'd have saved a nickel every mile for that, but that's about all I was getting paid. So Troy, in closing, what message do you have for all the men listening? It's been one heck of an adventure that I've been on, don't be afraid to let the good Lord take the wheel because he can make a lot more out of your life than we can make out of our own lives. And I've, and I've found that out from experience, being on one side of the fence and on, on the other side of the fence. And uh, I'm so glad. That's one of the reasons I went with this company is they had a good rider policy. So my kids in the summertime, they took turns coming out with me. I have some great memories and i hope they have them memories and i know hopefully they know did what i did so they could do what they did and there's this desperado roller coaster there in prim valley that the kids used to love to go on i remember my youngest one he just wasn't quite tall enough i mean we put socks in his shoes and spiked his hair i remember that first day some guys all right get on there the time is the second tallest in the world and that roller coaster i couldn't believe it and i was just so scared that one of them kids gonna fly out of that and put my arm over there and but i couldn't believe paying money for something you couldn't wait to get over with uh let your family be involved and call them i sure glad when cell phones came out so we could keep in contact and all that stuff but one thing about getting the cdl license if uh if you uh, keep a good driving record and everything, you never have to worry about, you know, feeding your family because there is so many jobs out there, you know, good jobs. You can get local and might not pay quite as much. The stuff is out on the road. But, you know, if you like to travel, a lot of guys, a lot of guys have their wives and stuff. They're team drivers and things like that. Something I didn't even plan on doing has turned out to be you know, pretty good. And this worked out for us. Well, Troy, yeah. I know you got to get back on the road. I want to tell you, thanks for coming on. And you betcha. let's, uh, I want to, I want to do this again. 
This is fun. Oh, yeah. Anytime, anytime. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I've really enjoyed your podcast. I'm always looking for something fun to listen to out here. This was an extremely fun episode, not only to record, but to go back and listen to when I was getting ready. I loved these stories that Troy shared. We are actually going to revisit the Wilberg mining disaster with Troy again. I did not know that he was part of that, and that was a big national thing that happened back in the 80s. So we're going to have him come on. We're going to discuss that. Until then, I am going to end this one with another mystery manly sound that is going to be obvious once you hear it. But I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) 